Christ is not divided. Christ did not die for a particular group of people and for not a particular group of people. He died for the whole world. John 3.16, the most fundamental Christian doctrine. Christ is not divided. My brothers and sisters in Africa who believe in Jesus, they're no better, they're no different than me. They're no lesser than me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I long to see them. And in any other country that's suffering right now, I long to see them in, the, in heaven. I may not see them on this side of eternity, but when I see them in eternity, it's going to be Christ that's going to unify us. And we're all, like the Bible says, going to worship God in our own tongues with, with our, within our own tribes. What a rad thing that's going to see. Not getting rid of diversity, but bringing unity through diversity, despite diversity. What an awesome thing, a work of God that only God could do. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. I never had that kind of introduction before. Yeah, my parents were missionaries when I was born, so that's how I got it. So, that's cool. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue Andrew's study as we... Uh, as you guys go through it. Uh, So I assume most of you understand and know the context in which Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He had spent several months, 18 months it said, in that city of Corinth when he was going through his missionary journey. He uh, planted that church with just a couple of Christians and it's grown into a, a, a family, like a church family. And as he saw that the church was founded, he moved on to Ephesus and continued his missionary journeys through then, uh, through that area. But the report of a church planted in the gospel continued to grow and mature with human beings. It doesn't last long. A good work soon becomes not so great. And uh, that's why Paul's writing this, this book of Corinthians. He's a, it's a book of correction. And uh, I feel like it's very relevant. Relevant, relevant, <laughs> relevant to uh, where we're at today. There's so much stuff that's in our lives and in our minds that can easily distract us and, and get us away, lead us astray from what God intends to do with and through our lives. And uh, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Get ready. Here we go. Verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined in that same mind and in that same judgment. For it has, been de- it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And just like I said, Paul planted this church and he moved on, knowing and, and having faith in the fact that the gospel had impacted these people's hearts and they would grow in their relationship and their faith in Jesus unifying their, their like brotherly and sisterly bond in Jesus. And uh, that's, it. that's his hope and his, and his dreams for the ministry. And it wasn't long after before he got the report from Chloe's household that there were contentions. And uh, I know all of us have a family. We all come from somewhere. Some of us may have siblings, some of us may not. But we understand that that conflict that easily arrives, arises out of that kind of relationship. Perspectives. And opinions are so different. Which way to put the toilet paper roll? For my brothers, I like squeezing out the toothpaste from the bottom. My brothers like doing it like apes and squeezing it from the middle. And there was easily contentions among us. 
the sledgehammer fist to the back when they wouldn't squeeze it properly usually came from me. And um, that was kind of the case in, the, in this situation. But in those days, it wasn't toothpaste and toilet paper positions that were causing people to, to have conflict with each other. But it was the wisdom of other people and the opinions and the deep philosophies that were going around. The Greeks were known for their deep philosophical debates. And um, there were some people after, G, after uh, Paul had planted the church that had come through that were very eloquent in their speech or perhaps very deep in their philosophy and were impacted and it drew people to them. And that was the issue in this case. And for us, we have that same issue. There's a lot of opinions and perspectives that are out there that aren't necessarily wrong. But again, if we allow those perspectives and those opinions to lead us astray from what the gospel entails, which is that we're children of God and in that unified with God the Father, unified with every other Christian who believes in Jesus, who's forgiven. And if we get away from that, we are in sin. And that's why this heading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is called sectarianism is sin. A big word, sectarianism. Literally, it just means divisions or denominations or things like that. And I think it's cool because in this time and in this age that we're going through in history, it's never been a season like this, I believe. Like, has no other time, at least in American history, that have so many people have had their, their liberties at least stressed or taken away from them in some degree or another. And what's happened as a benefit that we've seen as a congregation, as a church here in San Juan, as we've been going to the outlets and ministering and just worshiping and going through Bible studies, is that there have been so many people coming to this church that aren't Calvary Chapel. It's like, oh no, really? Other, other people? It's like, yeah, big deal. It's, they're Christians. And it's been awesome to see that. And the unity and sometimes the, the strife and the strife, the stress and the strife that can arise from something like that has not been there, and I believe it's been because of the grace of God in this situation that we're in, and that's so rad. But here in this case, and in the, in the context in which we're reading about the Corinthian church, there were some, and we're going to read it in verse 12, that some were heaping up for themselves pride in their own hearts and the identity of who they were following first and foremost. In verse 12 it says, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or this one, I am of Christ. Now, just looking at those, those people, some of you may know who they are, some of you may not. Apollos was a, a Jewish man, eloquent in speech, very rehearsed and educated in the scriptures. But he, when he went through uh, in Acts chapter 18, I'm going to flip there real quick just so I make sure that my uh, points are accurate. I don't want to give you guys anything outside of what is true, obviously. When he went through the area of Ephesus, a couple named Priscilla and Aquila heard him teach, and he was eloquent, and he heard about Jesus, and he was teaching about Jesus, but he wasn't teaching the full thing about how the Spirit plays, the, the part that the Spirit plays in our lives. And it says that they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, and it was that important doctrine that Apollos was kind of missing out on the grace of God, and Priscilla and Aquila got to teach him in that. But as he, he went through, many people were like, kind of like, ooh, an eloquent speaker. I like that. That's cool. 
That's great. That's a little bit about Apollos and his uh, bit of background. I gotta get back to 1 Corinthians here. Right there. All right. And then Cephas. Now, how many of us know who Cephas was? He had three names. Peter, Simon, Cephas. It always throws me for a whirl. But I found out that Cephas and Peter are basically the, essentially the same name. Peter is the Greek name. Cephas is the Aramaic name. There you go. It's simple. Cephas was, or Simon was his prior name. When Jesus saw Simon mending his nets, being a fisherman, doing his thing in the area where he was a tradesman, a fisherman, Jesus called him and said, hey, your name's not going to be Simon any longer, but it's going to be Cephas or Peter, which is just a stone, just a little stone. And the cool thing about Peter, as he continued in his ministry there in Jerusalem, after Jesus' resurrection, after the baptism of the Spirit, he went out and he proclaimed an awesome testimony of what Jesus had done, first to the religious leaders, and then as he continued his ministry, he was drawn to the Gentiles through a vision. I don't know if you know the story or not, but he receives a vision of this great sheet coming out of the, out of the sky, and in it, the great sheet was filled with unclean animals, and he receives a voice, and he perceived it was Jesus telling him to go, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no, I've always been a good Jewish guy. I'm not going to go and kill and eat unclean animals. And Jesus told him, what I have cleansed, you should not call unclean. And it was from that moment that Peter's Jewish world was going to be rocked because it was to the Gentiles also that the gospel was for, not only to the Jews. And through his awesome sequence of events, being led by the Holy Spirit, he went to Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman who loved God, supported God's people, the Jews, but didn't know Jesus. And so by being led by the Spirit, Peter goes, preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, they begin speaking in tongues, and Peter's eyes, his Jewish eyes, are now seeing Gentiles being moved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And now his gospel, or his uh, perspective of what Jesus has done is completely changed. Now you can imagine these two guys, Apollos, going through, teaching his deep, philosophical, eloquent speeches, pleasing the, the, the Gentile, or the Greeks in that sense, because they love the deep philosophical speeches. And then Cephas, Peter, going through and just preaching a gospel of grace and of peace to the Gentiles also. A simple message, but also very deep and moving because he also was eloquent in speech. And then it talks about how there was some of those who called themselves Paul or the person who was the original, the OG church planter. I'm going to follow Paul, that guy too. And you guys are going to follow Paul, so you guys can follow Cephas if you want or Peter, but I'm following Paul. Booyah, in your face. And then the hipsters of that moment in time, if I may. Those who would say, I'm going to follow Christ. You guys are going to follow Paul. You guys are going to follow these other teachers. We're going to be super spiritual, and we're going to follow Christ. And just like you can taste the attitude in that, as I kind of just uh, put a little bit of uh, emphasis in there, you can taste the attitude. It's not really a spiritual attitude that these people were following or saying, I'm of these, these guys. It was a sense of pride. And that's something that we all need to, need to understand and deal with because even as much as it was a problem for them back in those days, how much more so is it a problem for us? Because we have so much at our fingertips that is pleasing to the flesh and pleasing to the eyes that we heap upon ourselves and grow our pride and say, this is who I am. For me, uh, before the Lord searched me out and just 
reminded me of who I am in Christ, it was surfing. Surfing was like my identity. And my identity was surfing, and surfing was my identity, and I caught good waves, and I wanted to make sure that everybody saw it, that sweet off the lip. But I soon was humbled when I moved to Maui, and I realized that surfing is not that great all the time, especially when there's not a lot of people around. You'll be surprised in Hawaii, there's not a lot of crowds in certain places in Maui. And when you surf for hours and hours and hours on end, practicing to get good, really what you're doing, what I was doing in that sense, was just wanting to grow my pride in who I was as a surfer. I was surfing these sketchy spots, surfing really big waves, waves I never surfed before. But you know what? Nobody was around to see. And it soon became very pointless and meaningless. And I went through a, a very dry season of feeling like surfing's just like this lame thing. And I suddenly went through this weird valley, dry season of which I had no identity. And the Lord used that to remind me that my identity is not in surfing, though I wanted it to be. It wasn't in the feeling of getting a good wave because how fleeting is, is getting barreled. I don't know if some of you surf, but getting barreled is when you drop in on a wave and the wave breaks over you and you're in this little pocket where you just come through. And that feeling is so awesome and amazing, but it's so short-lived, it's like so stupid. Because you come out of it, you're like, I wish I could do it again, but the very next wave, it's completely impossible. You can never do it again. Literally for a fraction of a moment, you're doing the most incredible thing that not a lot of people are doing. You come out of it, and it's like, that was empty. <laughs> that was empty. You come out, your pride's all puffed up. I got barreled. Nobody saw it. It's like, whatever. Super lame. <laughs> and that's the struggle that some of us may, may struggle with, with pride. What is our identity in? If you're doing anything, we need to be doing it for the glory of God. And you can surf for the glory of God, but surfing must never come first. You may do photography as a trade and you're really good at it, but even that, if you're really good at photography and photography begins to build your life and it becomes to be your identity and it steps into the, the zone of which God wants to keep holy and sacred between you and him, that's a big deal and it needs to be repented of because photography, much like surfing, is so futile and pointless. I don't know some of you, if, I don't mean a diss on photography, but there are so many photographers. It's amazing. It's like the cameras are so at people's fingertips and they're so easy to use in the Photoshop. It's like everybody could be a professional photographer. It's amazing. Even on our iPhones. The iPhones I've heard, the iPhone X or 10, I don't know what it is. But I've heard that those take equally like the equal kind of quality that these really nice Nikons and Canons can take. It's like, wow, I could go get an iPhone and be a professional photographer. It'd be awesome. If our identity is in that, that's a problem. We need to repent of that. And it can be for anything. If anything is getting into the zone in which God wants to keep holy and sacred between you and him, and your identity becomes something other than what God has done through Jesus Christ, that's a problem. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts out and to change us. The problem is, because when we become prideful in and of ourselves, it causes contention with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's always the issue. And that's what Paul's desire in calling this Corinthian church out was. To stop the pride, to cut it off, to deflate it, to do whatever was needed for these people in order that there could be unity again. He says in verse 10, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And again... That same mind, the mind of Christ, meek and lowly, servant Jesus, being that for our brothers and sisters. 
Not that I'm anything or you're anything more than another person or less than another person, but that we're all equal in Christ. We're sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. What a blessing that is. Having that mind of Christ, apart from God, I am nothing. And in the same judgment, and it's hard for us to realize that we are not the best at what we think we're the best at. (laughs) There's always gonna be that person who could bottom turn harder, off the lip, bigger, spray more buckets of spray on the cutbacks. For me, that was a hard pill to swallow, but I needed to realize as much as I could practice, I will never be as good as anyone else or as bad. And I, either way, my pride should not be puffed up in that sense. In verse 13, it says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's asking these rhetorical questions. Obviously, it's a letter. It's not like a text message. And you could just like, get the little three dots going and like, no, no, no I'm going I'm to respond to this. Christ is sort of divided because there's different teachers. No, there's none of that. It's a letter that Paul was at writing to them. It was rhetorical in the sense of, think about this. I don't want an answer. I don't want a response because the answer is obviously no. Christ is not divided. Christ did not die for a particular group of people and for not a particular group of people. He died for the whole world. John three sixteen. the most fundamental Christian doctrine is that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should be, would have everlasting life through the forgiveness of sins. And it's important that we understand that. Christ is not divided. My brothers and sisters in Africa who believe in Jesus, they're no better, they're no different than me. They're no lesser than me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I long to see them and in any other country that's suffering right now, I long to see them in, the, in heaven. I may not see them on this side of eternity, but when I see them in eternity, it's gonna be Christ that's gonna unify us. And we're all, like the Bible says, going to worship God in our own tongues with, with our, within our own tribes. What a rad thing that's gonna see. Not getting rid of diversity, but bringing unity through diversity, despite diversity. What an awesome thing, a work of God that only God could do. He asked a a rhetorical question was Paul crucified for you and what an interesting observation that is because if we're following anybody other than Christ we're mistaken because Paul again doing that rhetorical question Paul wasn't crucified for these people and yet there was a following of people saying well I'm of Paul I'm more spiritual because he's the church planter he's the original Paul's like don't do that I wasn't crucified for you. I'm as much a sinner as you are. Don't follow me and let your pride get puffed up. In the same way, we need to be doing that with our own relationship with Christ. We may follow PJ because PJ is anointed. He's a blessing. He's an awesome guy. But we need to remember he's a sinner just as much as we are. I'm a sinner as much as Andrew Newman, someone I look up to greatly and respect him very much. If I'm following him and seeking his advice on things before Jesus, before what Jesus says, I'm in sin. And it's important that we also are considering that fact. 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And this is important. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. There's an insane amount of deep theological views that you can take on certain subjects. That was very wordy, wasn't it? That's so dumb. There's a lot of stuff we could put a lot of attention into. We could read a lot of commentaries. We could read a lot of perspectives on end times, whether it's post or mid or you know, pre-trib rapture. All that stuff is good, but it's not the gospel. It's not the cross of Christ. Those things are important to have understanding about so that you know what to expect, sure. But it's not the gospel. And we need to remember that. It's not a salvific issue. Ooh, big word. It doesn't affect our salvation. We are who we are in Christ because of what he's done for us. Let us not forget that. And that's exactly what Paul is reminding them of, the, of, the, of that fact. Sorry. He's reminding them that he did not come to them with eloquent words. He didn't come to tickle their ears with philosophical issues. He didn't come to just razzle and dazzle them with amazing speeches. He came to them simply with the gospel. And I, I challenge you, if you've been saved because of anything except the gospel, whether it's by your works, whether it's by what you do for the church, how much you give or what you make and what you, I don't know. If we're saved because of anything else besides that, we need to recheck our hearts and ask God, is there something in the way of my relationship with you? I was raised in a Christian home, just a little bit of testimony. I was raised in a Christian home. I was taught to read Psalms and Proverbs most of my life. I knew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all books in the Bible. And I was a Christian because I knew God existed. I didn't want to offend him. I wanted to live different than the world. And I grew up all through elementary school. When I said a bad word or I cussed or something, I would immediately be like, just envision God just like kind of frowning. I'm just, sorry, God, that was bad of me. And I went through junior high, went through the whole junior high thing. I went up, I got prayed for, and I'm just like, yes, I need Jesus. And in high school, I started to become a little bit apathetic. And I started to feel like, well, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not as bad as those kids. I mean, I'm friends with them, and I joke around with them, and I do all the same things, but surely I'm not as bad as them because, you know, me and God, like, I, wish, I listen to worship music. So, we're good. Then I graduated high school. And again, that identity, who I was, went out the door because a lot of the friends that I had began to smoke, drink, have sex with each other, and do all these crazy things that I knew, being raised in a Christian home, I could never do. And the, the comfort of having friends close and nearby soon eluded me because I knew there was something that God had upon my life. There was a calling upon my life to do and to be something other than what I had been. And it was until I heard the cross and what Jesus did for me that I realized I'm missing Jesus. I had the Bible. I had the Psalms and Proverbs. I had the worship music. I had the desire to be not like the world. But apart from Jesus, it was really meaningless. And that's Paul's reminder to us. It's not a matter of eloquent words. It's not a matter of wisdom or deep philosophical issues. It's about the cross of Christ. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. And that's the God that we continue to know through his word. What a blessing and awesome thing that is. Moving on to verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
That verse is so true in the sense of how some of you may, the situations that some of you may be in. I remember being a young adult and coming to Christ and desiring to live a holy and pure life and having friends in this world. And I wanted to see them saved. I would bring them to church. I would make deals with them. Come to church with me and you'll hear the gospel. But to them, it was like, why would, if God really is real, why would God come as a peasant's son, live a life, minister for three years, and then die? If God is really good and all-powerful, all-knowing, if I'm going to consider the fact that God is real, why would he come like that? Why wouldn't he come like this awesome guy, like a ruler and a prince, worthy of our praise, deserving of our praise? And they left. I had, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, at that point in my life, I don't know. I'm like, you're right, I think. But let me ask you, what is, what is more loving for a God who loves his creation to come and declare his awesome power, to set his foot down, to do away with all the, uh, the bad and iniquitous things that are going, is that a word, iniquitous? All the bad things that are going on. I'm going to look that up, iniquitous. Is it a word? All right, cool. I just made it up. If God would come and declare his majesty and his power like that, like the world couldn't choose. It would have to be like, oh yeah, this guy's the real deal. We better get right. But that's not a loving relationship. Just like how it was in the Garden of Eden. God gave them an opportunity to choose. The fact that there's a choice declares God's love for the world. The fact that there is evil in the world, though it's, it's hard to fully understand, God doesn't allow those things to happen. It's just simply there because there's a lack of God in what's going on in that evil. That may be a hard pill for some of us to swallow, but there has to be a choice in the realm of love. We choose to be children of God because he gives us the choice. And it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who have been called, it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. What an awesome thing. Jesus came, declared the love of God for humanity, made way for us to be righteous in God's eyes because, just like Kelly said tonight, it's not our righteousness. Like, our righteousness to God is like filthy rags. I don't know if you guys know the original transliteration of that word, but it's like minstrel rags that we cover ourselves with. We're like, I'm righteous. God's like, oh, (laughs) gross. But when we become a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're no longer coming to God with our works, with our, what we've done, we're clothed with the righteousness of God. That's how God sees us. And when we understand that fact, we truly get, come into a relationship with God where it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. It's so simple. God loves you. He loves me. Not because of anything I've done, but because he's created us in his image, able to have fellowship, able to have communion with him. And it's because of that fact that we are set apart from the rest of the world and we have the holy and awesome responsibility to simply bring that truth to people. Because it's only that and that alone that's going to save people 
from the hopelessness, from the anxiety, from the depression. And there was a girl last night in the youth group who in the middle of the Bible study, I, I referenced the issue of suicide in, in junior high and high school age kids. And she raised her hand and said, yeah, my brother just tried to kill himself. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? I don't know, I, I prayed. I just like, can we pray for you? Her name was Carla. If you think about her, pray for her. She needs, her family needs Jesus. It was a cry for help, for sure. But the issue for the young adults even, you guys, me, sort of, I kind of have left, I've turned 30. I don't know if that's considered young now, but we need Jesus. There are issues, there are struggles that we face. Men, you guys know. Ladies, you guys know. I don't know your life. You guys know your life. Holy Spirit's searching you out, and I believe he's bringing you uh, the awareness of the things that are getting in the way of your relationship with him. And I pray that you are grown-ups about it, and you lay it at the altar, and you walk away from it. That's repentance, and God loves repentance. When he sees us, he repent, he forgives us. In Romans, it it talks about, in Romans, not Romans, Romans, it talks about how if we confess our sins, God, or that's 1 John, rather, if we confess our sins, he is holy and just to forgive us. And it's not to any person, though accountability is great, and it's good, and it's helpful to our relationship, but it's our confession to God of the sins that we've committed, that we've hurt, kind of heaped up upon ourselves in our hearts and in our minds it's that repentance to God that he is willing and just to forgive. Now again, this wisdom does not make sense to the world. The world and their wisdom would say, no, you need an authority to say, yes. Stamp of approval, you have confessed. Now you're good. Go and sin no longer. It's like, that's the wisdom of the world. It's not only in... uh, Perhaps you're thinking of Catholicism. wasn't specifically re- referencing that, but the people go to the confessional and they confess to the priest and they're like, say like 10 Marys and uh, you'll be good to go. All right, don't stop it. He's like, all right, thank you. The peace of mind that comes from that. People need that, but it's not what God has done. That's not something that he's instituted. Again, in other religions, there, there's like a hierarchy that men feel like we need to be under a certain amount of meditation that we put into the day or the different times of prayer that we pray for. Like, that's man's wisdom. And when you go and preach the gospel, the simple gospel of, do you want your sins to be forgiven? You just gotta repent and confess Jesus and you live for him. You're a Christian, forgiven. Live eternally in heaven. What a blessing that is. Man's wisdom says, no, that's too simple. We must make it complicated. (laughs) God's wisdom is exemplified to us. In verse 21, it says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, just like I referenced just now, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Like I've heard it said, the gospel is so simple, a child can receive it. And it's true for my own kids. They still need a lot of prayer. They're still a bunch of little sinners, but they understand that Jesus died for them in order that their sins, who they are in their sinful nature, that like weird desire to see your little sister just like in pain or your big brother just like humbled because you kicked him in the shin. It's like that sinful nature that is in them, they understand that that's wrong and they need help and it's by Jesus that they are able to receive it. It's so simple, a child can receive it and it pleases God. 
Because the gospel is for any age, for any person, anywhere. It's simple and it can be received to those who simply believe. Now in this case, in 22 and 23, he's going to talk about the Jews that request a sign and the Greeks that seek after wisdom. And so many people, my own dad has said in his own, my, my own relationships with him, I, if, if God would just simply speak to me, then I would probably believe a little stronger. But he needs a sign. He needs something that God would do on behalf of his request in order for him to fully sell out and be a child of God. Now, I believe my dad's a Christian, but his relationship with God is hindered because of that aspect of unbelief. I haven't ever heard God speak, therefore I have a struggle in my heart. Some of us require a sign in order to believe God. Or some of us require like deep theological theories and deep things. I'm not like that. I respect people who are, who go to the seminary and they study the the theology. (laughs) I respect those guys for sure. They know so much more than I do, but that's not going to save people. That's not wrong. Again, there's diversity, but the unity in Christ is what makes diversity great. Verse 21, for since the wisdom of, or sorry, verse 23, but we preach a Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, this portion of scripture really confused me, and I pray that you are less confused than I am when I read it. But just simply put, the cross, Paul's emphasis is, the cross. What he's talking about is what Jesus Christ has done for us. The death that he paid. The cross was like this disgusting thing to the Romans. Like the Romans had a law that no Roman could ever be crucified unless it was specifically uh, decreed over a person. That's how, it was so brutal. The Romans who invented it said no Roman could ever be crucified. It's a Gentile or a non-Roman kind of thing only. It was so brutal and so like horrific that Jews and Greeks, when they saw the cross, they're like, that's awful. For the Jews, it was like the thing that the Romans did to the Jews when they took over. They crucified them. It was miserable. It was horrible. It was disgusting. So for a person to come and say, hey, Jesus, who died upon a cross, he did that for you. It's like, what? He would not, if God came, the Messiah came, he would not go through that in order to save me. It was a stumbling block to them. For the Greeks, it was foolishness. And then, here we are. But to those who are called, both to the Greek or both to the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's simple. It's the gospel. What Jesus has done for us. It's by faith and faith alone. The confession of our mouth and believing in our heart that He raised from the dead. That we are forgiven of our sins. A simple message for sure. And then this, 25. If God was foolish, he used his foolishness to confound the wise. If God was weak, he used his weakness to prove man wrong. You don't need strength in order to save people. You need Jesus. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Again, a 
portion of verses that I hope you're less confused when we come out of them. Paul's eloquent speech right here is not tickling my ears, but confusing me. Thanks, Paul. But the foolishness of the gospel that God chose to redeem men by puts to shame any ounce of man's pride, right? Now, I'm teaching through Genesis on Sundays with the youth group, and in doing a little bit of research and referencing some things that I've heard, like Richard Dawkins talk about, like the theory of creation versus the theory of the Big Bang, man's scientific wisdom has concluded through Richard Dawkins that life was planted here by aliens on crystals. It's like, man's wisdom leads you to that? You have more faith in aliens? Who created the aliens then? Like, where did they come from? Oh, billions and millions of years in a different part of the universe. It's like, well, what about that part of the universe? Are you concerned about that? Uh-huh, it's too far away. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's like, it's like, man, what are, what are people willing to believe instead of God? God uses the foolish things to put to shame those things. And what a blessing that is. It's simply because of love. God's not far from us. And it's through the gospel <sighs> that we can come to him. What an awesome thing. The base things. And even in that sense, God uses the base things. Like guys like me and guys like PJ who started as a janitor desiring to simply be used by God. He is what he is today because he's answered the call of God upon his life. Like he said it in a a little meeting that we got to have the other day. He's just a, a janitor. That's just answered the call of God. If he does anything outside of what God has said, he's just a janitor. And that's what God's going to return him to. And in the same sense, I stand before you as simply a laborer from a construction site who felt the call of God upon my life and desired to answer it. The base things. A person on a construction site, the laborer is the one that you get to do the jobs that you don't want to do. The sweeping, the cleaning, the digging, the, the hauling, and the, the breaking. That guy is the lowest on the totem pole, and that's, that's who I am before you. I just, I don't want to be anything apart from who Christ has called me to be. And that's just some, somebody who loves the word of God and wants you guys to grow closer to Jesus through the word of God. Anything apart from it, any eloquent speech, any deep philosophical jargon, that's going to lead you astray. And we need to have that same respect for God's word and desire to be used by God. Verse 29, and we're almost through. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that's Paul's awesome conclusion to this portion of the scripture. The gospel, the cross of Christ, so simple, the world cannot understand it. The perishing world cannot understand it. It puts to shame the wisdom of man. It's a stumbling block to those who want to overcomplicate it or who cannot accept it. But for the purpose of the fact that any and all of us will never be able to stand before God and say, I did it, me, because of what I did. We will all, those who are found in Christ, we will all stand before God on our knees simply saying, I'm here because of what you did. 
He, let him, he who glories, glory in the Lord. If there's anything that we're going to be, that word glory is like a praise or a boasting of. If there's anything that we're going to just put that out upon our Facebook thing or Instagram thing or Twitter thing. If there's anything, let it be a glory to God. Seriously. We need to be children of God who are willing to do what the world isn't wanting us to do. Preach the gospel. And that's going, to be, that's going to touch and testify to people way more than any deep thing that we could ever do for ourselves, in and of ourselves, to bolster ourselves. And God sees that when we do that, because no doubt some of us have done that. There's no glory to God in that. And as we pray and we sing and we worship in, these next time, in this next time of worship... Just ask the Holy Spirit to search you out. Is there anything that we, that we are glorying in apart from what the cross of Christ has done for us? If there's anything that's leading us in a different direction than what God has called you to, and there's a calling upon your life, if there's anything that's leading you away from what God has called you to do, do what it takes to come back to Christ in order that there be unity in the body of Christ. And as we walk through it, I, I just want to just focus on those last three words, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. When we have that mind of Christ in us, like he said in verse 10, be of the same mind and of the same judgment. When we look at those things, righteousness because of what Jesus has done. We look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, righteous because of what Jesus has done. Righteous because of what Jesus has done. Righteous because of what Jesus has done. There's not going to be dis- dissension. There's not going to be contention. When we look at each other, when you fall short, when I fall short, when any of you fall short, there's sanctification. God will do an amazing work of using what you messed up, what you fell short in, to mature you and to grow you in what God's called you to do. And what a blessing that is because when you see another person who falls short, you give them grace, you see them get back up and continue serving for Christ stronger and harder than you ever could. What an awesome and glorious thing that will be when you get to just sit, sit back in your time of prayer and just say, God, thank you for what you're doing in that person. There's gonna be unity in the body of Christ. And finally, redemption. When we understand what that word redemption means to us as sinners, God could have no fellowship with any sinner. That connection was severed because of the, the nature of sin that we're all born into. But what Jesus Christ has done, he's done away with that gap he's filled it in with himself with his own blood and he's redeemed us because of the suffering and the dying that he went through upon the cross he was the only one who could bear the the wrath of God the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me that should still be poured out upon me that will have to be poured out upon me if I'm living apart from Jesus Christ When we understand what that word redemption means and we look at it upon our brothers and sisters in Christ there's going to be unity There's going to be no contentions. There's going to be no dissensions. We will say in a holy and humble, meek and lowly way, I am of Christ. And so are you. Let's worship. So as we just have that time of worship now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just be bringing things to your heart and to your minds. That your relationship with God would be stronger than ever. That it would be a blessing for others to see that God would use you in your friend groups or your Instagram groups or whatever it is for the glory of God, not for the glory of you or the postings or the waves that you catch or anything like that, 
It's for the glory of God. And as we do that, there will be unity. There will be awesome, good stuff happening in your life. Thank you guys for coming. Just worship, invite the worship team up right now as we pray. And again, if there's anything you need prayer for, we're available to pray for you. Not because there's anything special in and of us, obviously, but because there's power in, a, in just fellowship and the unity that we have in Christ. What a blessing and awesome opportunity that we have in that to just pray with you. If there's anything, we love you. We want to pray with you. Get Joel, Jack, Kelly, girls with girls, guys with guys, obviously, you know, things like that. But as we pray, we just ask the Holy Spirit to search us out. God, we, th- we thank you for your word from Paul this evening. And I believe it's a cutting word for some of us. Our pride easily is deflated when we realize that it's because of you and not because of me. My pride easily gets deflated, God, and you hate pride. It's what caused the devil to be cast down from heaven. When he said in his own heart, I will be like the Most High. God, you cast him down out of heaven. And Lord, let that not be the testimony of any of us. Let that not be the heart or the intents of our minds. Let us be higher than others. God, we need to remember and understand that the gospel is to all people because we're all sinful, worthy of condemnation, worthy of hell. But Lord, you came and you saved us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us upon the cross. And we pray, Lord, that you would search us out. If there's any need of repentance, make us aware of it and receive our prayers of repentance. Lord, if there's something that we need strength in, God, I pray that you would strengthen us with the power of your spirit, that we may resist the devil and flee temptation. Lord, if there's anything drawing us away, whether it's a career or whether it's any ambition that we may have, if it's drawing us away from our, our relationship with you, if it's getting in the way of that which you desire to be sacred between us and you, let us repent of that. And I pray that all things that we do may be a glory and an honor and a a praise to you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.